0: fun frivolity and always something that includes that fucked up florida it's an f-fest around these parts so we welcome you to the kbc happy hour a freaking fantastic festival of current events conversation cocktails and well you can figure it out from here if you split that last word in two we'll give you a little time to think about that there you go Here are your
1: hosts, Richie Roy and Johnny Mack. Hello and welcome to this week's Happy Hour. Uh, We are here on a lovely evening uh, and depending on when you're listening to the show, hope you're having a wonderful day, afternoon or evening. Speaking of which, how are you doing, Johnny?
2: I'm good, thank you. Uh, It's been a pretty good week and I am looking forward to hanging out with our friends this evening. It's a little odd because we're actually recording and doing the live show on Friday rather than Thursday evening. And we'll find out why, because you actually were somewhere in attendance at a entertainment event last night in New York city. And I'm looking forward to hearing about that too, before we get out of here tonight.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, that was, that was really fun. Um, I went to an, uh, an event, uh it was at the Brooklyn Academy of Music. Um and it was a a uh it was a queer sort of performance art slash musical slash drag show. Um it was it was a really interesting it was a and it was four hours long, by the way. Um Oh my and yeah, it was it's uh there's this composer named Taylor Mac who um worked with some some um, collaborators on a 55 song song cycle uh, one song for each year since the first pride parade and um, as they sort of said at the beginning of the show um, this is the the reverse conversion therapy we hope you come out of this queerer than you came in Um, and each song was sort of loosely based or loosely sort of an homage to a figure, a queer figure out of history, you know everyone, you know from from modern days to uh, you know ancient times. But you know, it was also just kind of a very exuberant and extravagant kind of show with a lot of costume changes and really cool lighting and really fun music. The musicians, all of the musicians were incredible. And um yeah the audience was really they were they were bought in you know people were there for the full 4 hours there was no intermission um and uh it was a really fun time Yeah that was uh, Taylor my cousin Taylor what Mac Was that Taylor Mac Yeah Oh yeah like Johnny Mac there yeah, you go Yeah <laughs> But yeah, it's Taylor Mac's Bark of Millions um, I, If you get a chance to see it, um, it's at Brooklyn Academy of Music right now and I think it's going to go on tour um, I don't know where, but if you get a chance to see it, um, it sounds daunting four hours of music, but it's it's really quite quite um, moving and, and really interesting so I would definitely give, it, it, a, it, give it, actually, it a shot.
2: Did it actually feel like four hours or did it really keep moving along so it Seemed like it went by in a heartbeat.
1: So it it kept moving by and large. I would say at around the three and a half hour mark, I became aware that I had been sitting for a really long time. Yeah. Just like physically, I was like, oh my gosh, wow, I've been sitting in this little, you know, little chair for a long time but but in terms of music and and spectacle and things it kind of kept me totally you know transfixed the whole time
2: yeah well that sounds like it was a good a good time and uh i'm sure that uh, anybody who would like more information on it can find it online and and also be able to follow with where it may go on tour
1: Oh, absolutely, yeah, and and if you if you don't know about Taylor Mac, definitely check Taylor Mac out. They are a really fascinating performer. I believe that they re, they are a recipient of a MacArthur Genius Grant, and did uh, previously they did a twenty four hour show, which was um, which was I think each song was a decade in American history. And each song was dedicated to kind of a queer topic. So, um, so Taylor is known for these kind of long durational queer performance art song cycles, and um, really interesting stuff. So,
2: well, as Howard, our voice of God, said at the beginning of the show, um, it's another F fest this, and in fact, it's on a Friday, so it's even more of an F fest. Uh, yes, where Florida is concerned, once again they top our headlines tonight.
1: They do, and 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 we have one one subject. And actually, I was doing some like last minute research, and there are some even some more Florida subjects. If we run, if we, if we run out of steam on this one, we there's some more Florida news for sure. But um, this one's pretty, you know. We we talk a lot about you know the don't say gay bill and kind of Florida's really strong, uh, Ron DeSantis's really um, intense attacks on the LGBTQ community, but it's not limited. They they are equal opportunity discriminators and uh, haters. So a Florida school is under fire because they are requiring permission slips for students to receive education on. Uh, the occasion of Black History Month. So what is happening uh, is, uh, and I, it is My, Miami-Dade County, of course, is requiring parents to sign permission slips for students to participate in Black History Month um, events. And this is because of the a new state board rule that is... Um, Part of Florida's 2021 Parents Bill of Rights. You know, this is you know all sort of wrapped up in the same stuff as the don't say gay, all of these kind of uh, bills that are that are meant to basically. Um, make it impossible to, to teach anything in public schools. Um, and especially anything that, uh, is not just, you know, staring at a, at a picture of the American flag, you know, for eight hours straight or a cross um, with Jesus hanging or a on cross. It. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, you know, there, people are up in arms because obviously, um, This is a big problem. I mean, this is not, it's not controversial that it's Black History Month. It's not, it shouldn't be controversial to learn about the history of black people in America, but because of the politicization of, you know, people like Ron DeSantis of the, of public education and education more broadly, we're in a situation where parents are allowed to opt their kids out of learning about huge swaths of really important information.
2: Yeah, and if anybody ever needed it, it would have been somebody like presidential candidate Nikki Haley from South Carolina who could not even state that the Civil War had anything to do with slavery. Uh, I mean, it's just ridiculous. And this story uh, came out of a local ABC affiliate WPLJ who reported that parents of students at IPREP Academy in Miami— have been asked to sign a form giving their consent for their kids to participate in class and school-wide presentations showcasing the achievements and recognizing the rich and diverse traditions, histories, and uh, innumerable uh, contributions of the black communities, end quote, during Black History Month. And when I read this this morning, I I was you know it's so irritating to see these stories one week after another after another after another just keep piling on and in a state like that where basically they don't want people to have bad feelings about themselves in case their skin happens to be the color of the oppressors you know and it's i don't i don't get that idea because I mean, obviously, students today, regardless of their skin color, had nothing to do with these events then. But why are you trying to change the history of it? I mean, I don't think th- that white kids are going to feel guilt over these kinds of things happening. I think what they're going to go is, wow, people really had their heads up their backsides in those
1: days. That's a great point. I mean, I mean this, is not, this is about projection, This is about old, conservative, white, mainly religious people projecting their own, like, I think, sense of, warped sense of what education means on young people. I don't, I think you're right. I don't think young people, I think young people, you know, we've talked about this on the show before, are on board with the multicultural agenda with intersectionality with lgbtq rights you know with having trans friends with having friends that have gay parents with you know mixed race families you know even with divorce but you look at the kind of the world that that these conservative you know revanchists are looking to to restore you know again we we've talked on the show before this they want to go back to before brown versus board of education right ultimately they want they want integration to not have it happened and they want essentially a kind of um a propagandistic idea of what education is education is about learning how great your country is how great you know the the developments of your forefathers definitely not founding people but forefathers are and it's really this crabbed view of history and and it's it's a zero-sum idea it's the idea if you learn about alternative histories that you're somehow not learning about other things and that if you're learning bad things that people in history actually did which there are many that you're somehow like that, that you're that you're not a you're not, sort of learning how to be a good American. I would argue it's the opposite, that America is essentially a work in progress. That's the whole idea, is that it, and that the more you learn about what didn't work, the more you can try to fix things and make it work better in the future. And so, you know, you get people, and like you said, you know, the, you we see evidence of it like Nikki Haley but you know also things like I forget if it was Marjorie Taylor Greene or Lauren Boebert who tried to use Martin Luther King's birthday to to say that we should stop the woke agenda because they because Martin Luther King was not for equity which if there's anything that Martin Luther King was about was literally equity of course and so there there actually needs to be way obviously way more remedial education about things um and so it is just kind of it just highlights again um, the education has always since Brown versus Board and now you know with things like charter schools, with things like school vouchers, with things like these don't the don't say gay bills, the anti woke bills, the the defunding of DEI and in public higher education, they are just education is in the crosshairs of a very very militant conservative movement that wants to make schools not teach things that are actually relevant in the 21st century.
2: And boy, in the previous administration, do we ever see that play out with the appointment of uh, uh, Bessie DeVos as the head of the uh, Department of Education federally and starting to play that conservative agenda where public education is concerned. Uh, I want to take just a second to invite uh, our listeners, if you want to sound off on this issue and give us your two cents, uh, please do. Our telephone number is area code 760-677-0111. That's 760-677-0111. You'll also find it on the gaybc.com homepage. And we hope that you will participate tonight if you are so moved by something that we're discussing or how it you know makes you feel, or what you think should be done about that? We'd like you to share your thoughts with us as well. So please do uh, do feel free to give us a shout tonight on the GBC Happy Hour.
1: Yeah, and and one of the the, the news stories that I saw because this is sort of in keeping with Florida and education that is not unique to florida but is you know is it moving its way through there is that florida lawmakers are advancing a bill to allow schools to adopt quote volunteer school chaplains who could act as substitutes for trained social workers or counselors (laughs) okay and so and and the thing is this is not and and it's actually there's similar laws working their way through in texas utah and some other states but this is a new a new move, because, again, uh, one of the things that people who are on the on that on the right, they don't you know, they don't believe in integration and they certainly don't believe in the separation of church and state.
2: Yeah, I was going to so say this is a total erosion of of what's left of separation of church and state.
1: Right. And and the thing is, what they're trying to do is, you know, basically give cover for school districts to essentially um, gut their. You know, they're counselors and trained social workers who generally are people who are um, of a mindset to be, let's say, um, thoughtful about childhood development, which might involve things like LGBTQ identity, um, with things like racial identity, with all kinds of different subjects that they actually have training and know how to treat students and, and, and make them feel welcome. Instead... Why have those when you can have some untrained volunteer school chaplain? With and of course, there's not going to be any kind of guidelines as to what their training or background needs to be, um, and allow you know essentially kind of evangelical radicals uh, to volunteer um, to take that take those jobs. Um, it's it's outrageous.
2: Well, it keeps bringing me back to this point, and I was thinking about it about an hour ago because. Uh, before we actually came in to do the live show tonight, uh, Richie and I were hosting a space on Twitter, and in there, one of our guests, one of the participants in the conversation was talking about something we oftentimes hear people talking about, especially in the LGBT community, which is that they were planning to move to Florida. Mm. And I don't understand, and I'm not trying to, you know, out these people as being you know crazy or anything like that, but um, I don't care how good it could be in one specific community because it's very queer friendly. But in a state like that where there's that much oppression, I cannot understand for the life of me well, why anybody would want to move into that insanity. I mean, to me, that would be like
1: you know, Jews moving
2: into Nazi Germany.
1: Yeah, it's it's what it is is it's an ex, to me it, it's really an expression of privilege. It's just basically saying, I have what I need and screw everyone else who's immiserated by the, the politicians who are running this state because I can live in Wilton Manors and be happy. Yeah. And so good for me. That's what it that's what the message is that I think is sent. I understand it for people who live
2: in Florida, have lived their whole lives there. And it's not just that simple to up and leave and go somewhere new. But uh, come on, folks, uh, we have to send a message somehow. Stay with us. We've got more to come right here on the GBC Happy Hour with Richie Roy. I'm Johnny Mac. 760 6- is our telephone number.
0: Hello. The phone operator over here is lonelier than the Maytag repairman. So let your fingers do the walking and join Richie and Johnny to start doing some talking. We know you want to work your digits, so get in on the act. 760-677-0111. The KBC Happy Hour. Wake that guy up now. That's 760-677-0111. Here's Richie and Johnny. Well, it turns out that it was the night that the rights went out
2: in
1: Georgia. ha, <laughs> good one. Nice. Um, yes. So this is a news story out of the Peach Tree State, I guess. Is that what it is? The Peach Tree State? Yep. Yeah. So it's and it's one of these things where they name a bill. Um, something innocuous to hide how horrific it is so um, a bill was filed last week in Georgia called the women's Bill of Rights sounds, doesn't that sound nice sounds nice really nice so you want it's we like to have it, it's a, a feel rights good for women kind of let's thing. let's yeah, it do makes, it
2: it makes me feel fuzzy and warm exactly
1: except what this horrific bill is is um is basically uh, an attack on gay rights (laughs) with a focus on trans people. Well, hold
2: on, hold on just a second. In all uh fairness, in all fairness, this was a bill that was introduced by state representatives Jody Lott, Lisa Hagan, Penny Houston, Bethany Ballard, and Kimberly New. So it really was a women's bill, a women's bill of rights to have the right to discriminate against LGBTQ plus people, yes, written yes. by
1: women, right. So what it does is uh, it does a few things. It replaces the word gender with sex in several state laws. Defines sex as genitalia at birth. Defines female as having a reproductive system that, quote, at some point produces, transports, and utilizes eggs for fertilization cute, and male as someone with a, quote, reproductive system that at some point produces, transports and utilizes sperm for fertilization. Um, what, a, what a cozy little definition. But um, another thing that it does, which is sort of the, the meat and potatoes here, is it would rewrite uh, Georgia's hate crime laws to eliminate the term sexual orientation and gender from protected categories. Basically... Uh, If someone commits a hate crime to attack a gay person or a queer person, uh, that won't be a hate crime anymore in Georgia.
2: No. Well, why would it be? I mean, unless, of course, and hear me through for a second, unless, of course, you decided that because you were afraid that your child was going to be infertile,
1: that you have the right to abort it. Well, because, I mean, it, it, it's all just so – it's all just kind of like nuts. Um, I mean, yeah, because you bring up a good point. I mean, what about intersex children? I mean, uh, how would you be you – know, what well, do you Well, not define? even intersex
2: children. I'm talking about people who would grow up to not be able to uh, reproduce because they're infertile.
1: Right, 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 right. You know. Um. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it just it, – this is this we've seen this move actually happening in some other states too. this trying to replace the word gender with sex and have it basically be about the about your bits you know the bits you were born with and it's just you know again it's another attempt to kind of you know chip away at lgbtq rights the thing here that um is just really uh appalling about it is again um is that it's this zero-sum game idea, right? That if you protect gay people with a hate crime law, that somehow what you're not protecting women. I mean, like, what, what is like, what are they trying to say here? I don't really. I mean, it's just it's just rank anti-queerness, is what it is.
2: Well, I think what they're trying to say is that parents should not be allowing their minor children to um, transition. Uh, if they are believed, or you know, um, shown to be that they are a transgender person, and in so doing, that it would not be, uh, it would not be a hate crime if somebody were to do something to somebody who is LGBTQ. But perhaps, like I was mentioning before, I mean, if somebody were to terminate a pregnancy. And say, well, I, you know, I thought my kid would be infertile. Inter- um, so, therefore, I punched my stomach and, you know, killed the baby in the womb. Uh, and under that law, they could go to prison for, you know, for basically performing an illegal abortion or causing that to happen. You know, right. I, I just, it's all bullshit. It's all well, fucking bullshit.
1: Well, and, and when you look at the directions, if you look at kind of the... the several directions that, that these types of laws are going in, you end up in a very dark place because what you have is this huge expansion from the right on the castle doctrine, on the, uh, on the no need to retreat, on essentially, you, you know, if a black person looks at you the wrong way at a gas station, you're fine to shoot them dead because you were afraid. So we have this kind of like you know this idea that human life is actually not very valuable, and that if you if you want to shoot someone, you can basically do it with impunity, um, if you're afraid of them because you know uh, because obviously they're like probably a person of color. Yeah, and at the same well,
2: time, I have uh, another question for you then. Uh, in taking that into account, um, would a person of color also include somebody who is orange?
1: <laughs> i hear i' see where you're going but um but it, so we in we have this castle doctrine this kind of like basically expansion of defense for murdering people but then at the same time we also have the retreating away from hate crimes bills and so we're left in a place where there's just this kind of especially with gun violence we're just left in this lawlessness where it's like you can you know if you're a if someone comes to your door to sell Girl Scout cookies, you can, you know, shoot them with a shotgun through the door because you're afraid that they were going to mug you, um, and you're protected. If you're actually harassed and 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 hurt because you're transgender or gay, you're out of luck. I mean, what kind of what kind of miserable world is that? Damn. Now you've got me thinking about.
2: Girl Scouts getting shot while bringing cookies to my door. This is a sick, sick world we live in, Richie. There we go. And here we go uh, to get you updated on the latest what's going on around the nation and the world, and then we will continue with more fabulous GBC Happy Hour. Stay with us. With Richie Roy, I'm Johnny Mac. Phone number 760-677-0111.
0: Happy hour on Gay BC. No
1: agenda, except for that gay one. Hello and welcome back. I'm so happy to hear the return of that particular little intro. I love, I love that Western theme. I know you do, little Roy <laughs> Rogers. Yeah, Richie Roy <laughs> Rogers. Yep, yep, yep. Um, so to. Uh, I, I do have a story that um, that if we have time, I will bring in a different state. I promise uh, for to be in the, you know, in the crosshairs. But we are back in the uh, Sunshine State for another piece of terrible, stupid legislation. Um, and uh, there was a Senate, a state Senate hearing where an anti-LGBTQ uh, speaker was uh, laughed at off, basically laughed off the stage uh, for, or laughed away from the podium um, after ranting and raving. So this had to do with um, a hearing on Senate Bill 1120 in Florida, which would prevent any government building, which includes post offices and schools, from displaying any flag that, quote, represents a political viewpoint, including but not limited to a politically partisan racial Sexual orientation and gender or political ideology, i.e. pride flags. That's really what this is about. I mean, because I don't think that they're talking about Trump flags. There's no such thing as a Biden flag. I don't know what they mean by, a, pol- you know, about, you know, a political ideology flag. I mean, what, a communist flag? What they're really talking about here is a pride flag. That's what this bill is about. I right. mean, they, they've dressed it up with some other words, but this is about pride flags.
2: I'm so ready to go out and get a fuck you flag and fly that. Put a put a, a flag pole in my front yard, you know, maybe one that's like I don't know, like sixty, seventy feet high, so I can get several flags on it, and I can flap all my pride right up their ass.
1: Well, it'd be I would love if you had I don't know Have you ever driven by um, a Camping World before? No. So, Camping World is—it's like a, a chain of um, RV oh, stores, yeah. yeah. And what, their whole claim to fame is they have these gigantic flagpoles that flag that have like the world's biggest American flags on them, right? It's gigantic flags that you can see from like miles away. Um, you should get one of those Camping World flagpoles and and just have a giant f- uh, pride flag in your front yard.
2: Yeah, I think something like that. I mean, because. I'm sick and tired of all of these bigots. In fact, I was thinking, you know, uh we should coin the word on our show here. We should call them fligates, you know, uh F L for Florida and then get the you know, backside of bigot and mm-hmm. and so they can call us faggots, but we will call them fligates.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's um It is just, it it is particularly virulent there in Florida. You know, this guy who was speaking, uh, who got kind of laughed off, he was saying that we don't want government pushing an ideology. We believe that the flag and its ideology is demonic. Um, The idea that a child can change their gender, that's included in the rainbow flag. That's an ideology. That's included in the rainbow flag. What?
2: Right. I, I mean... When I read this yesterday... I was like, uh, well, I was not surprised because if, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that, that guy was from the Florida chapter of the Christian Coalition. Oh, God. And so this is the kind of stuff we've been putting up with ever since the days of Ralph Reed and you know Pat Robertson and Jerry Falwell and those types. Fortunately, they are all now living permanently in hell. But, um, well, I don't know about uh, Ralph Reed, I think he may still be around, but uh, soon enough he'll, he'll get his. But this is the kind of rhetoric that I would have expected in the 1960s, 70s, early 80s, but we began to see people thwart this nonsense in the 90s, and... Unfortunately, it has reared its ugly head once again.
1: Well, and and where it's taking a lot of different forms, too, because it's taking the form of these laws. It's also taking a different form, which is which is really being weaponized by the Supreme Court, which is religious accommodations. The Supreme Court has been extremely deferential to religious accommodations of all kinds. Um, And there have been, you know, attempts, you know, I believe during the Trump administration, there was that uh, attempt for rulemaking to allow, you know, pharmacists and EMTs and doctors to essentially not uh, to be shielded from, uh, you know, any kind of discipline if they decline to provide medical care because they have a religious belief Against providing a certain kind of care, including care for trans people, care for gay people, care for people with AIDS, etc. Yeah. Um, you know, abortion care, whatever you name it. Um, and we see this this kind of steady march of religious accommodations. I was just watching a a um, a, a legal uh, webinar today about religious accommodation, and there are just the the things you see on this accommodations gravy train is just breathtaking. Um, you know, a lot of where it came in um, is you saw it happening, it happened during COVID-19. Um, people were essentially asking employers, uh, they were asking for religious accommodations to not have COVID-19 vaccinations because they believe that, the, quote, their body is a temple. And that um, their religious belief is that they should not have to take a vaccine.
2: If they think that their bodies are all temples, they definitely need to fire the architect.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, you know, but you see I know a lot so many.
2: I know so many good and tolerant and um, even embracing people of faith, and I hate to cast a a spell of you know dislike and disfavor towards people of faith because i believe that a vast majority of them do not buy into that and people of various uh, facets of the christian faith i know some are horrible but i also know so many of them who would listen to us talking about a story like this and would come back to that that question of what would jesus do and you know if they really followed and understood the teachings uh, that came from Jesus Christ, they'd be, you know, they they should fear for their souls uh, if they truly believe in him based on his actions as he walked the earth. And, well, I mean, and, I mean this that,
1: goes, that's absurd. I mean, this goes directly to something, another story that, you know, was came out again uh, just today, um, which is, uh, you know, a particular. You know, if you believe, if you're a person of faith, you believe this person has, you know, literally the red telephone to, you know, to the cloud upstairs. Pope Francis <laughs> yeah. responded again to criticism of his decision to bless couples in same-sex unions, calling objections from ideological groups in the U.S. hypocrisy. Um, and what he's what he said, which I think is a very pointed statement. Um, is no one is scandalized if I give a blessing to an entrepreneur who perhaps exploits people, and that is the most serious sins. Whereas if they are they are scandalized if I give it to a homosexual, that is hypocrisy. We all have to respect each other, everyone. So you know you bring up a point too, which is these. There's a very small, sort of small but very active and loud population, and loud population of essentially um radical Fliggets Radical fliggets um, either evangelicals or very conservative Catholics who are using all the levers of of you know power that they have to try to inflict their beliefs on others. And you know, again, where I, I'm particularly mindful, obviously these bills like this, you know, flag bill and, and all these things are annoying and terrible. But the thing that really gets me is this is the religious accommodation front, these lawsuits that basically and the the sort of the fact that the Supreme Court is so willing to sort of give deference is that basically civil society, sort of modern American civil society um, has a lot of latitude for different types of people. You know, um, it it really protects LGBTQ rights, you know, in a way that it didn't used to. It protects people of color. It protects, uh, you know, people who want abortions or people who want, you know, COVID vaccines or whatever. It's a broad, it's a broad kind of uh, world that we live in. And what they're seeking to do with religious accommodations is essentially carve themselves out of modern life. And, and and universally applicable civils civil rules and laws and procedures. And basically say, and because of how the jurisprudence has like sort of has shaken out, you're not allowed to really ask too many questions. It's like magic word. You basically say, you know, um, it's my sincerely held religious belief and that's a get out of jail free card. You can say, oh well, my sincerely held religious belief is that I shouldn't allow, gay people to buy my muffins at my bakery and the supreme court's like yep sounds good to me no no gay no no muffins for you gays i mean you know it, it might as well say you know my strongly held religious or my sincerely held religious belief is that you know mixed race couples have no place in my restaurant is that fine is that an okay thing to say is that a religious accommodation that we should be fine with
2: well, it's my religious belief, strongly held religious belief, that uh, Alex Twunk should have to surrender to me.
1: <laughs> That's uh, one of our listeners. Um, I will say uh, it's very funny hearing uh, Johnny Mac is being very fiery tonight, and I'm I'm watching him on our live video feed. He is wearing a Keith Haring bathrobe at the moment, which is. Uh, which I, I have to say, you know, if anything, um, you, you, know, you I'm should going, definitely...
2: I'm going out in that? this tonight. You're doing what? I'm going out in this tonight. The really? Event, the event that I'm going to at a local uh, establishment of ill repute um, wants people to come dressed in things like their uh, union suits and PJs and uh, towels and bathrobes and things like that. So I'm wearing my Keith Herring bathrobe and my Keith Haring uh, swim shorts. <laughs> I love even that. though it's 50 degrees outside
1: <laughs> it's 50 degrees there well
2: it will be then it's 61 at the moment
1: i mean it's the thing that's crazy not to like swerve to a different topic briefly but um that's not that different from the temperature here right now actually yeah.
2: well you know um there's no there's no global climate change
1: no, of course not. Of course I, not. Maybe, I heard that. maybe if we're in Florida we can pass a bill to uh to prohibit any disc- discussion of um global climate change in schools. Yeah, of course. They probably have done that already. It just hasn't been on our radar, but yeah.
2: Well, it's normal, you know, for those waters right off of uh, Fort Lauderdale to be 90 plus degrees with the sharks swimming into them and and uh actually getting cooked.
1: Of course. Um I will say, uh, to, to go back to the school question, um, you know, with things like the flags in the school and, and, and the, you know, the black history month and all that stuff, there was a little cute, little cute, fun story out of, um, Lehigh County, Pennsylvania, which is, um, and I think you'll like this one, Johnny, sadly, the moms for Liberty chapter in Lehigh County, Pennsylvania, which had used to have 200 members. Has dissolved. Oh, yeah! It it th- they had a crushing, complete and utter defeat in the school board election, and uh, and the chapter v- v- used, that used to be two hundred members strong had three members remaining. They met at a diner, the Starbright Diner in Allentown, on Tuesday night, and decided to <laughs> dissolve their 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 chapter. Hmm. So. You know, uh, it's good to see, you know, because this chapter was actually pretty active um, in things like opposing mask mandates and supposedly critical race theory in schools, which I've never understood that that whole bugaboo, because that's something that's taught in law schools. It's not really something that's taught in in like lower, you know, in in elementary schools or high schools. I don't really understand that one. It's a boogeyman topic. What? It's a boogeyman topic. It it is. It's a total boogeyman topic. But so they were pretty active actually. Um but uh they you know they they were doing all kinds of, you know, anti-gay, anti-trans sort of activism and the people there uh in in uh in Pennsylvania weren't loving it. And so uh this person who is the uh the, the chapters endorsed Republican Laura Warmkessel, uh, who ran for a seat on the on the Parkland school board, uh, lost, as did all of her fellow Republicans to Democratic candidates. Oh, and uh, yeah, things. and so uh, all of the Republican and Mom for Liberty backed candidates lost their races in Bucks County, nearby Bucks County as well. Um, and so, sadly, Mom for Liberty in, in Pennsylvania is kind of uh, is, is a little bit kind of a dead letter.
2: Boo-hoo-hoo. Yeah. Well, you know what? Um, well, I want to know whether or not most trans people are more or less satisfied with life after they transition. And there's a new study out, so Richie's going to have the scoop on that. I also want to let you know that we have a great special guest coming up in our second hour this evening, and we're going to talk tech with him. He had his hands on one of those new Apple Vision Pro units last week, and he's going to give us his take. So I hope you'll stay with us. We've got a great show still to come. Thanks for being here with Richie Roy and myself, Johnny Mac. 760-677-0111.
0: It's the gay BC happy hour with richie and johnny fellas
1: hello, hello hello welcome back to the happy hour yeah what he said <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of happy hour this is a good story about people who are by and large really darn happy That's with good. uh with things. So this is a story I, I really liked seeing the story because it combats uh, a lot of um, garbage that is floating around out there in the ether. but so um, this is uh, a, a very large study of transgender and non-binary respondents 92 almost 92,500 respondents and asking, uh, answering questions about their lives. This was done in uh, late 2022. It's the 2022 U.S. Transgender Survey that was conducted by the National Center for Transgender Equality. And what they found was that, um, among other findings, that uh, respondents who were receiving hormone replacement therapy, uh, also usually called HRT, um. 98% of the folks who were receiving it reported that they were either a lot or a little more satisfied with their lives since they started HRT, and less than 1% said that they were less satisfied with life since starting HRT. Similarly, 97% of trans people who had at least one uh, form of gender-affirming surgery said that they were either a little or a lot more satisfied with their lives since the surgery. Less than 2% said that they were less satisfied. So this is this is really useful powerful information because one of the things that we see coming out of the right and in the junk science out of the right is with regards to anti-trans bills and anti-trans especially uh laws involving children is that it is uh that you know, they they find these outliers, these detransitioners who basically say, "I I I was on HRT and I regret it. I regret it. it was wrong, it was bad." So they find these outlier people and sort of trumpet them and them into these kind of you know celebrities and use them and sort of peddlers of junk science to argue that that. Replacement uh, therapy and gender-affirming surgery is somehow quote experimentation, you know quote butchery, mutil- mutilation, uh, you know anti, uh, you know a- against sort of nature. They have all these things. These kind of like they get in their high dudgeon about trans uh, trans care. What this survey shows pretty pretty overwhelmingly is that. They're just wrong. They're just not correct. If you actually look at trans people who actually exist, the vast, vast majority. I mean, the thing is, if you look at something like people who get a knee replacement surgery, the percentage of people who are happy after the knee replacement surgery is like 60 percent. These are people, trans folks are overwhelmingly vastly happy with receiving gender affirming care, whether HRT or gender-affirming surgeries. that th- These numbers are actually, like, incredibly high.
2: The one negative thing, really negative thing, well, there's a couple I want to point out from this, um, and both of which I'm not surprised about. You know, when I was running the LGBT station at Sirius Satellite Radio several years ago, um, we used to interact an awful lot with transgender listeners because one one field of work that they were in Uh, in big numbers was over the road trucking and Mm. because a lot of them end up working solo or you know by themselves and independently and so they don't have to deal as much with the uh, kind of bigotry and discrimination uh, that goes on in a lot of different industries and and certainly the numbers in terms of the You know, the U.S. has, what, an uh, unemployment rate right now of around 3.6%, and um, 34% of the respondents indicated that they were living in poverty, and uh, 11% said that they had lost their job due to their gender identity or expression, but a whopping 18% of respondents said that they are... Unemployed, and that does not surprise me because I would hear that from a lot of transgender listeners who are not truck drivers um, mm-hmm. because they were being kept out of the workplace, out of uh, people's bias. Um, yeah. But another thing, also, is if there's an area in their life right now that they have significant dissatisfaction about, it's that because of all the anti LGBT laws and particularly the anti trans legislation that has been introduced over the last couple of years in states uh, across the country, um, that there are many people who live in states where trans people are having to leave their home state because they can't stay there because of these anti-trans laws. So, I mean, imagine, I mean, if, if you grew up, you know, in a state that is not friendly towards this, and you're a trans person, and you're Basically, realizing that you don't have any protection, and in fact, are very vulnerable in those places that you have to pick up and move your whole life and go somewhere that you have no connection with or, you know, no uh, idea of what you're walking into, but simply having to consider going there because the laws are not, you know, as bullshit as they are in some other places. I feel fortunate. I'm from a state that is very friendly, and I'm living in a state that is also pretty friendly, uh, Washington and California. Um, But, uh, you know, I feel for people who live in places like Alabama and Tennessee and Texas and Virginia and Arizona and Georgia and Missouri and North Carolina, Ohio. Those are all places that people have to be afraid to live their life.
1: Well, it's also it's true, and it reminds me actually kind of of, of um, how things, uh, both the sort of how things were kind of in the olden days, that that gay folks would, for similar reasons, move up and move. You know, they would move to San Francisco, to you know Atlanta or New York or you know sort of basically places Chicago, places where that were kind of the nearest urban center that they, they they felt they could be amongst their community and not be, you know, subject to discrimination and sort of ill will. The thing that, though, that is kind of a, I think, a complicating problem now is um, because is because of the housing crisis, because of housing costs, especially in urban centers, um, it isn't like back in the day when you could, you know, pack up with, you know, a couple a couple dollars in your front pocket and a backpack and move to San Francisco, you know, you know back in the olden days. Um, you know, for trans folks that are needing to move out of their state, um, you know, first of all they they maybe didn't have they're unemployed already because of discrimination, so they don't have a ton of money. And then where are they going to move to? You know, these state the states and the, the places that might be more amenable the housing costs are so astronomical that it's not really, you know, it's not the same. It's not like you used to be able to, you know, move to to New York and, you know, crash, you know, on Christopher Street with, you know, w- with a bunch of folks and it's just not like that anymore. And oh. so it makes me feel bummed out because um yeah, I feel like there it's a it's a rational move to say if I'm in a state that's like I'm I live in Florida and I'm trans Get me the fuck out of here! I want to. I'm going to move somewhere that actually wants me there, but with what money and at what cost? Because it's so expensive now, housing and you know all of the kind of you know just sort of appertinent costs of life are so high that I just wonder how much elasticity there actually is for trans folks to actually move. I mean, it, perhaps there should be a move towards establishing um, you know grant programs. Um, for trans people who live in, in states that are hus- that are inhospitable grant programs to get them set up to move elsewhere. I don't know.
2: Could be. I mean, that might be a solution. Well, coming up in the hour ahead, we've got a lot more to talk about, including the fact that uh, the gentleman who was just speaking a moment ago uh well, he lost his virginity in in a manner, so to speak, um, with regards to another gay-friendly place in the United States. And we're going to talk to him about his experience in going to the Windy City this past week for uh, the first time ever. And I hope that you'll hang out with us and continue to... Uh, uh, listen in and participate in our program. The phone number here if you'd like to do that is 760-677-0111. Uh, we're also going to be talking about uh, Massachusetts students uh, or students who are having to uh, deal with a First Amendment issue in the Bay State and it's kind of scurry so we hope that you'll hang in there and uh stay with us on this edition of the gbc happy hour i'm johnny Mack, and
1: i'm richie roy
2: thanks for being with us on this friday night
0: 2024 is the year of the dragon. Of course it is. But on the Gay BC Happy Hour, it's really the year of the drag queen. Speaking of which, here's Richie Roy and Johnny Mack. Ladies.
1: Hello. And welcome back to the Happy Hour.
0: Hey there.
2: Let's go to the phone lines 760 677 111 And we'll start off by saying good evening to Anthony. Hello.
3: Hey, good evening. How are you? Oh, great. I'm Enjoying clearer weather these days. So we have a break from our, our California crazy weather. So yeah. um, I did want to share some positive information since this is the happy hour. Um, and it does also touch on, uh, you know, transgender rights and the community. Um, the recent passing of legislature, the uh, San Francisco uh, resident and California Senator Scott Wiener introduced a Senate bill 339 that California Governor Gavin Newsom signed into law stating that pharmacists will have the ability to write a prescription for PrEP medication and PEP medication without the prior approval of a primary care physician and that insurance companies need to pay for those prescriptions and for any of the lab work that's necessary to um, complete that. So I think it's a huge step forward uh, in prevention of HIV transmission. Uh, There are so many people who cannot get access to it because they are in a location where they don't have LGBTQ-friendly doctors or physicians uh, or even those who do have access, um, their, their doctors just may not be up to par on on what PrEP meds are. I've heard some amazing stories about how people were told, well, you know, just just use a condom or, well, just do this or just do that. And I don't think, and their doctors are just indifferent and they don't quite understand. So I think this is an excellent, excellent step forward in the prevention of HIV spreading. Uh, the other great thing is for people who are in the trans community, finding a doctor who is trans friendly to discuss your sex life and desire to prevent an STI, that's extremely difficult for some people, especially as you mentioned, if they're not living in a metropolitan area. Um, So I think this is a a huge step forward and I'm definitely glad. um, So if, if people haven't read up on about it yet, I would urge them to definitely, you know, do a search online and it is uh, Senate Bill three three nine in California that just was signed into law by our governor. So it's, it's an amazing step forward with HIV prevention. That is good news.
1: Yeah, I'm- and I I think that you know I think that um, any ex- expansion of the availability of PrEP is really welcome. You know I know a lot of in a lot of I think in New York um, like care or health insurance companies are required to, to um, include it for free of cost like. And I think basically they're trying to expand the availability of, of basically no-cost prep. The thing that I think is an additional piece, though, that really needs to be added on um, – and I don't know exactly what, what my thoughts are like in terms of how to operationalize this. But basically in order to be on prep, you have to get blood work done every quarter. Just to check to make sure that you that know is- your you know your kidneys and your liver are doing fine and just generally you're you know you're a okay. I found though, what I have to and do, this is yes. what was that?
3: Oh, that is what I have to do. That is correct because I am on prep medication. So yes, you do have to have your your HIV test and you do have to have blood work you know blood screening done. Yeah. To Remain on the
1: medication. So yeah, you're right correct with that. Right, but the the thing I think that 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 is another piece that really needs to be added is, um, you know, even as someone with health insurance and stuff, getting to the doctor once a quarter. You know, when you have a job and stuff. Um, you know, and depending on if you if you have insurance or not, lab work can be expensive. Um, is there needs to be uh, an increased availability for low or no cost lab work, and perhaps even time, um, you know, uh, uh, guaranteed time off to get lab work done. I mean, I think frankly, that might be just a good thing full stop because um, if you've ever been to LabCorp or Quest or one of those places before, it can take a long time to get lab work done. And if you're doing it on your lunch break or whatever, um, you know, from work, it doesn't always work. It's, you, you sometimes need to take a couple hours to get lab work done. Um, and I feel like in order to kind of make prep more available, there actually needs to be more focus on, on to making sure that lab work is something that you can get done for, you know, without punitive sort of uh, aspects to it. Because I think yeah, there are absolutely. some folks that, that don't go on it because bill- they can't get labs done.
3: Yeah, and this is what that bill is allowing. It's allowing the pharmacists to have the blood work drawn there at the pharmacy, if they have a phlebotomist there, and have that sent out. And then the pharmacies have the capability to bill the insurance company for that. Because, yeah, it's hard enough sometimes to get an appointment to see your doctor. You call in and they say, well, we have an appointment 30 days from now. And you're like, but I have an issue that's urgent. And so somebody might not be able to get the PrEP that they need now so that they can responsibly uh, engage in, you know, sexual activity um, and then they don't end up getting it till after they've already been infected. So this is an, an excellent step forward. But yeah, you're right. We need to have access to labs as well that are, that's just as easy. Um, and there should be so many more things that a pharmacist should be able to prescribe that are low level things uh, that, that might free up, People needing to go to the emergency room for things. Yep, right. Really, a pharmacist is a doctor of medicine.
2: Thank you so much for your call and uh, and for those points, Anthony. We appreciate it, and have a great night. 760-677-0111 if you'd like to join the conversation with us. We'd love to have you here. Well, also in the news this week, a Massachusetts student is fighting uh, over a ban on his bigoted, ill-informed T-shirt that he wanted to wear to school. And it's it's a matter that's now before the uh, federal appeals court in Boston, uh, where yesterday uh, it appeared uh, skeptical that a Massachusetts middle school violated a student's right to free speech by requiring him to stop wearing a T-shirt that said, There are only two genders. A lawyer for Liam Morrison, who is 13 years old, told the three judges of the first U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals panel in Boston that officials at the Nichols Middle School in Middleborough violated the U.S. Constitution's First Amendment by censoring him when he expressed a view opposing the school's pro-LGBTQ stances. And the lawyer, uh, his name is David Cortman, said that Uh, Morrison wore the t-shirt in seventh grade to show that he disagreed with the school's supportive views that biology alone does not determine sex, uh, which it expressed via pro-LGBTQ posters and Pride Month celebrations. And I don't know how you feel about this, Richie, but uh, frankly, I learned an awful lot of lessons when I personally was in high school uh, challenging some things between... Uh, the journalism staff that I was on with the school's newspaper and the administration and the students uh, the ASB body, the political body at the school and you know there's a lot to be said for the fact that uh, minors do not necessarily have a uh, uh, full extension of their constitutional rights but um, also that a school, an institution uh, does have a superseding right to create a non-hostile environment. And if other people who happen to be LGBTQ um, feel endangered in that safe, in what was supposed to be a safe space for all, um, I don't know. I, I'm not sure exactly where to come down on this because I do believe that that people have a right to express their opinions. I just don't know that they have a right to do it on a t-shirt.
1: It's an interesting question. I mean, I have a I have a little'm I'm, I'm of like many different minds on this one. But one of the things that I am a little bit of a mind of, and I know that this is gonna sound this is gonna come a little out of left field in the, in terms of what you're saying, is I actually I'm really um, supportive of in uh, lower education, especially. i'm I'm actually in support of uniforms. Um, I am too, and I and the and the reason and the main reason why is, I mean, I think that, I think that it's you know obviously would take things like political just you know political statements on shirts off question you know out of the question off the table, but um, it also it, it creates especially if there's subsidizing for uniform purchases, right. it takes socioeconomic status off the table in terms of of children sorting each other by. By how rich their parents are right um and so what you have is instead of kids thinking about um you know whether they can afford you know the cool nude shirt the cool new jacket or the fancy pair of shoes or whatever they're thinking about just going to school and learning yeah um and so like i'm i'm kind of that's sort of like my like out of left field thing on this is like like Fuck his shirt! First of all, his shirt is just—he's a, a troll, and I—I I know he's not popular at school because people who are pulling that kind of stunt—they're—they're—it's a cry for help. He's—he's he's just like he's lashing out. He's trolling, yeah. and so you know whatever. I feel sad for him more than anything because either he's brainwashed by his parents or the lady doth protest too much. Either is terrible, yeah. but um, at the end of the day. I kind of, I'm kind of like uniforms are kind of a great thing for schools, I think.
2: Yeah, I think it's the uh, great equalizer in uh, the halls of, uh, well, really any level uh, in K through 12 uh, mm-hmm. to make them wear uh, uniforms. And I can say that uh, and admit that I was not in a school where I had to wear a uniform. I went to a public school. But I would wholly support, especially if the, if the uniforms are subsidized, uh, so every family can afford to have them. And mm-hmm. if you uh, had that, I had a teacher, I think I may have mentioned this on a previous occasion, but I had a teacher who called into my show one day when I was on Sirius Satellite Radio, and he told the story. He actually taught in a school district that was uh, in the same place where Microsoft is headquartered, Redmond, Washington. And Redmond is one of those communities that has both sides of the railroad tracks. On Mm -hmm. one side, there's the Microsoft millionaires and the families, you know, that uh, are in high tech. On the other side, there are people who are um, financially, uh, fiscally challenged for sure. And he had a situation with a student who, you know, always wore, you know, $150 tennis shoes and, and bling and all that. and. He was putting down another student in his class one day um, because clearly he was wearing, you know, his sibling's hand-me-downs. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so he proceeded uh, to ask the student, you know, how would you feel if I made you both just uh, get completely undressed and have to sit here naked or in your underwear and nothing else? Because uh, at the root of it all... You're both exactly the same, mm-hmm. except one of you has an attitude problem. So, yeah, you know, he got the teacher got, of course, in a lot of trouble for that with the administration because, you know, he might have gone too far in saying, you know, what if I make you not wear any clothes in class? <laughs> but mm-hmm. but the, it was a teaching moment, and and certainly to get the point across that when we take away all of, all of this window dressing. Uh, you're both just people.
1: Yeah, and and you're right about that. You know that in schools there is kind of like, you know, kids in schools don't have the full complement of of protections. That's just a, that's that's just a balance that we've decided to strike. Yeah. And what's good for the goose is good for the gander at the same time because you know we're seeing all kinds of um, attempts on the right. To make it so that kids can't wear a a pride shirt or a pride bracelet or, you know, a shirt that says gay is okay" or whatever. Um, So if we're going to go, if we're going to limit that speech, then let's limit the speech on the other side. Then, Um, you know, shirts that basically are, you know, wearing a shirt that 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 is there's shirts that are supportive and shirts that are hateful. You know, um, and I would say that, you know, wearing a shirt that says, you know, everyone is okay, that's different than wearing a shirt that says there are two genders. I mean, that's basically just a, that's a troll. That's a, a provocation. And schools really aren't places that sh- that provocation should really be, uh, you know, sanctioned.
2: Yeah. Uh, let's go to the phone lines at 760-544, or I'm sorry, 760-677-0111 <laughs> and say hello to... Warren in Pennsylvania welcome to the show
3: hi thank you so much for having me you're welcome we have just just a couple of minutes
2: so
1: all right I'll I'll be quick okay I just want to say as a current high school student I wear six and shields to school every day and that would not be obviously allowed in most uniforms and I feel as though that's a part of my expression so I think while uniforms do have a benefit of people being on kind of an equal playing field, it can also kind of disadvantage the creative flow process of people and their expression of like their identities through things such as clothing.
2: Yeah, and I don't I don't argue the point that it allows a person to express who they are, but when it turns into a negative situation and somebody feels attacked, you know, if you had a, a school full of students attacking you, uh, because of the fact that you're wearing high heels and you uh, are, you know, a biological male, uh, I would hate to think that you would be in harm's way. And for that reason, that it might be legitimate for a school to say, "Look, we're gonna we're gonna um, start with an equal
1: playing field
2: here for everybody."
1: Well, I think there's already so much discrimination on, like kids are always going to find a way to make fun of other kids, kind of just what they do. So I think, the like, the way they go about it hasn't really changed. Like, you see videos of kids fighting in public school ba- and bathrooms that have, like, uniforms. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, appreci-
2: I appreciate your input on it.
1: Yeah, and, and I think, you know, it. it's definitely, I mean, it's definitely a balance to strike, right? I mean, you know, uh, you want people to to be able to express themselves, but at least for me, um, especially when you look at public education i just think um you don't want people to feel that they are coming to school looking like the poor kid you know and um that that to me is is a big thing when i think about uniforms so
2: warren thank you for your call and your points appreciate it yep You can join us as well, 760-677-0111. Coming up, we're going to have a special guest with us. David A. Cox is going to join us next, and he is going to be here and talking about tech with us. We're going to talk in specific about Apple's newest little gadget and whether it gets thumbs up or down or somewhere in between. Stay with us on the happy hour.
0: Is this show gay enough for you? No? Dial 760-677-0111 and give these guys a piece of your mind. They've got thick skin.
1: Hello, and welcome back to the happy hour. And uh, for those of you who are listening as a podcast, um, there was just an ad for um, tax relief. These tax relief ads that, that I hear on the radio quite a bit and these ads are very confusing to me because they talk about how if you have like huge tax obligations and they're gonna you know uh levy your bank or garnish your wages that they can negotiate you know almost all of the that tax um all your taxes away and i'm just thinking well why is that actually why should that be allowed people should pay the taxes that they should have to pay (laughs) <laughs> like, if you're not, if you're evading taxes, then, then, you know, too bad for you. It, you know, maybe your wages should be garnished. Maybe you should have a bank levy because at the end of the day, the tax implications are what they are. You can minimize them through tax planning and stuff. But at the end of the day, if, you're, if people are just not paying their taxes and then the IRS comes a call in, I don't really have too much sympathy there, I must say.
2: Well, I am pleased now to welcome our guest uh, this hour, David A. Cox. He is uh, familiar to people all over the place because he has a channel that we're going to tell you about on, uh, well, he's on YouTube and you can get to his website uh, as well. But he has had the, I think, good fortune to get to experience Apple's new Vision Pro headset. And so we welcome him to the ABC Happy Hour. Hey, David, how are you? Hey, John.
4: Thanks. Uh, glad to be here.
2: Well, we're happy to have you with us. Um, so, first of all, for folks who want to get to your website, it's uh, www.techtalkamerica.com, and we do have a link That's on our correct. on our site as well to that. Um, but you had the opportunity to play with one of these thirty-five hundred dollars toys. What was it like?
4: Yeah. Yeah, well, actually, I bought it uh, and was able to get it on day one. So I've been creating YouTube content for 14 years now. And, you know, it's not every day that Apple does get into a new space. And it's always important, I think, to keep in the minds, you know, in context that it's a first generation device. You know, it's bound to have problems. Of course, it's going to be the heaviest because if it was perfect on day one, you'd never buy the second model or the third. So, um, it, it's got, I would very, very strongly encourage anyone who's curious to book a appointment at the Apple store. You can go in, it's like a 15, 20 minute demo and experience it. Would I recommend that you buy it? Um, no, probably not. Probably not. Unless you're just like looking to spend money, in which case, you know, Hey, I've got, I've got a wish list. You're more than welcome to help. Anyway. <laughs> I think uh, we should you know, also it, preface it
2: some, by saying that you yeah. are te- you are for the most part really an Apple aficionado and do like their products so you're not generally down on Apple gear. But yeah. yeah. Uh, this... I'm
4: pretty sure in 14 years I've never panned an Apple product and this was this was you know pretty pretty darn close to that. I mean it has a it has a handful of things that it does amazingly well. For example, movies are spectacular, uh, both 2D and 3D movies. When you watch a movie that's uh, rented through iTunes, for example, you can make it look like you're in a movie theater and you can determine where in the theater you are. You can be in the balcony, you can be in the front row, and it really, really does make it feel like you've got this IMAX in your living room. And, you know, this the, one of the thoughts that was definitely going through my my head as I was using it was, This would have been really nice during COVID. Right now. (laughs) So um, I think that potentially for people with different vision related issues, I think that it could be a good device. The the big problem with it is the weight. You know, I'm showed on video like I've got a little blister at this point on the bridge of my nose. I'm wearing this thing. And that's because within 45 minutes, yeah, it hurts. It's, I mean, imagine taking a first generation iPad, maybe just a little bit lighter than that. And just imagine resting that on the bridge of your nose. It's not fun.
2: No, it doesn't sound very comfortable.
4: Nah, not so much. Not so much. Uh, I'm, sure some, I'm sure someone will come up with some sort of jelly you know, accessory to put in there to make it not quite as harsh. But, you know, I'm sure in future generations, the the weight will, you know, get down there. But it is an amazing experience. Um, definitely something that if you can get your hands on one, worth checking out.
2: $3,500. So that's an awful lot of money for first generation product. And I doubt mm-hmm. that there's going to be a uh, an upgrade path so that you don't have to pay a uh, another bloody fortune the next time version two or three uh, comes out after this. Uh, I noticed that there was something else that you um, talked about uh, in regards to this, which is you know a lot of people maybe they'll get one for a household, but there's a problem in terms of having different accounts on the headset. Correct?
4: Yeah, I mean the the, the list of issues that I had with this thing, it was a very significant list. Like, you can't ignore that. And and a big one is, like, this really, everything about it feels like it's designed for two people. Uh, well, maybe more, okay, more than two people, but I would say single people and introverts. You know, a lot of the world that we live in is designed for the extrovert crowd, but for people who don't go out a lot, yeah, it might be a really incredible you know way to have an amazing experience at home um if you're single but uh i'm sure there's going to be some applications in business those are going to be very very niche specific um but as far as the general population i think it's going to take at least another one to two generations to get it to the point where the average person can use it and i'll, I'll share with you like i think a lot of people uh don't really know how do you use this? Like, like how is it just movies or is there, are there other applications? So one of the things that I did in my video was I showed that in your home, you can say like, let's say you go by your refrigerator. You can assign an app to live right by your refrigerator. So uh, when you go there, hey, you've got your little list of uh, reminders, your grocery items, so you can add something instantly to the grocery list. You know, you can go to a different part of the room and you can have your calendar over here. You can have, you know, a little photo collage over here. Right. Hey, David, but, hold on um, just a
2: second. Uh, yeah. We've got to take a break here for a moment. Would you mind staying with us through that and joining us again at the sure, bottom? no problem. Okay, great. No problem. We'll continue with our conversation with David E. Cox from Talk, uh, Tech Talk America. Again, it's techtalkamerica.com. You can get access there to all of his videos on YouTube and more. Stay with us. The news is next.
0: The GayBC Radio Network presents the weekly public service. The GayBC Happy Hour Seal of Approval. Does it fly or does it die? Products, services, and customer service that will turn you on or turn you off. Does the cup runneth over, or has the well gone dry? Richie and Johnny, take it away.
1: Hello, and welcome back to the Happy Hour, and we are chatting about the Apple Vision Pro with our guest, and I, you know, I'm interested, I, I have to say, I'm very fascinated with this product. Um, I'm I'm not the most, like, first adopter person on the planet, but... Um, I recently went to Mass Mocha um, in Massachusetts, and there was a um, Lori Anderson, who's a performance artist, um, who I really enjoy. She had some v- uh, some VR headset art that was really beautiful and interesting, and I thought if anyone's gonna can do VR headsets right, it's gonna be Apple. And I I was I'd be interested to think about you know what about use cases like you know you see you two recently did that concert in the sphere and just the, the visuals and the kind of like world that you can create, you know, in a 3D environment. Um, You know, what about things like using Vision Pro for kind of not necessarily gaming, but actually experiential kind of, you know, atmospheric art type of things? You know, is that is that a use case that might be interesting?
4: I think absolutely. Um, I can tell you one of the experiences that I got to go through, which was really interesting, is through the Apple TV app. Uh, they have an experience with Alicia Keys. So it's a 360 degree camera and you're right there in the recording studio. And, it, and I mean, with the spatial audio, it really it's, I mean, it's it, it's it's hard to describe it. I, I mean, it's you have to understand the number of pixels in each lens is 23 million. That's take this, take your iPhone, light up one pixel. You can barely see it. Now divide that by 64. That's the size of the pixels in the vision pro. Mm. And so when you have that level of clarity, I mean, your brain can't even process it. How do you, how do you, how do you, how do you process that 23 million pixels in the size of a postage stamp and you can just the the kinds of things that you can do are really amazing. the The thing is is also the amount of time. Uh, there really is a thirty minute limit to to mm. anything. And so for a you know one of the first things I'll tell you, the first thing that I did when uh, this was one of the big questions like, what was the first thing that I did after I got it kind of up and running, was i you know what? I've already paid four thousand dollars for this damn thing. I might as well spend another. $19.89 and rent the era's Tour. And so <laughs> I put on my AirPods Pro and I tried to watch the entire concert. Now, I saw it twice in theaters. I love Taylor Swift. I couldn't get through more than 45 minutes. It was just... I, I was taking notes on my iPhone as I was going through this, trying to note all my experiences and my thoughts. And I just—I looked at my my notes and it was just like, "Ow, my nose hurts. It's broken. I think it fell off." You know, it just—and <laughs> and it it takes it does take you away from the experience. So, but this is the thing. It's this is why I think it's you should go and get a demo of it, but absolutely do not buy it. It will give you a glimpse at what is to come, and you'll see. You know, you'll see where this is all going, I think. I, I do think that the 360 experiences can be, I, I you know, especially here's what I think about. Think about the the generation that's growing up now. You know, kids in high school, you know, they went through COVID and that kind of screwed up their childhoods a little bit. And a lot of them have kind of had to, you know, they've grown up on the Internet. They started with cell phones when they were babies in restaurants, you know, and their parents give them iPads, and I think that Apple sees that this is where that generation is going, it, and it's just it's the generation that is completely addicted to screens. Which, let's face it, we're kind of already there. But I, I just think that this is probably the next frontier. It's just going to take a while to get there, um, and it, there is going to be a slow adoption rate. But the mm-hmm. big the big thing it all comes down to the weight.
1: Now have you have you experimented at all because I know one of the things that that they're saying is a selling point which I think could be really intriguing is the um, is the 3D spatial video uh, recording aspect? Yeah,
4: yeah. So I got to. So I I was really fascinated by this. Uh, um, so my I actually have a course that I taught on Final Cut Pro, which is listed on the resources page of Apple.com. So I'm very 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 much into video editing, and so this whole concept of being able to film in 3D. Really kind of cool. So I, uh, just the other day, went to Sunnylands, and I wore the Vision Pro, and I also brought my iPhone 15 Pro. And I compared the footage, and it was really interesting. When you film with the Vision Pro, it's a 2200 by 2200 pixel video, so it's a square, which is really weird. Hmm. Uh, Whereas with the iPhone, I mean, you look at the footage shot on the iPhone 15 Pro, and it's just a night and day situation. Another odd thing that I pointed out in my tutorial, and I said, I, I, did I like take drugs and forget about it or something? <laughs> uh, there is no, when you go into settings on the vision pro, there is no setting. There's no category for the camera. I was like, hmm. how can that be? Like that's, that's a mistake, right? <laughs> how did that get by someone?
1: Well, so, so you, you can't adjust no, like any of the kind of like the resolution options. or like anything
4: say
1: again. So you can't adjust, you can't make any adjustments in terms of like how it's recording or anything like that.
4: None, none. And what I can tell you is when I, when I filmed the video, so I walked around Sunnylands, the circle once with the headset on, got a lot of interesting looks from people. Um, when I went to play it back, it literally was like within five to 10 seconds that I felt queasy. I mean, when you <laughs> film spatial video, you have to have a tripod. Um, I'm, I would love to actually go up to the top of the tram right now and film some spatial video up there. I would, I, and what I'm curious to see up there is: okay, we know if you we know if you if, if you try to do it with the Vision Pro, you know, it, it tends to cause it tends to induce nausea. If I film on a gimbal, does that make it any better? Probably not. But anyways, I think I think filming the, the tram in spatial video is going to be a real trip.
2: David A. Cox is our guest, and he, again, can be found at tech, uh, techtalkamerica.com, and you can find access there to his videos, including the one that he has done. I think it's about 17 minutes, uh, your review on this product, and, and you'll get an opportunity in that to see actually the difference in what he did with the, uh, with the Vision Pro and also with the iPhone 15 Pro and uh, kind of experienced that from a standpoint of the tour that he was able to record there at, at the Sunnylands Estate in Rancho Mirage, California. Uh, David, thank you so much for joining us, and I hope we'll get a chance to talk again soon about other tech stuff.
4: Thanks, guys. would love to. This, oh. is, this was a lot of fun.
2: Great. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. And... Richie uh, was just in Chicago, and it was your first go round there, huh?
1: It's true. It was my first trip to the Windy City, and I, um, I loved it. I actually had a great time in Chicago. Um, and I, I, you know, full disclosure, I spent almost the entire time, except for um, one quick meal, uh, out of the loop. I was in the loop the whole time um well, and no, it's that's important kind of to, this,
2: to be kept in the loop
1: yeah <laughs> it, which is a kind of like the central kind of like right. business center of town um but my time there was was incredible um you know I first of all I was struck by you know it, it's it's you know people talk about it but it's really true the architecture is insane um because Um, you know, because there was the fire, um, you know, the great Chicago fire that you have, um, a lot of beautiful buildings and it's, you know, it's sort of a a well-planned city in a way, but you have, you know, beautiful Spanish revival and art deco and, um, all of these kind of beautiful old buildings. The Chicago Tribune building is one of the most gorgeous buildings I've ever seen in my life. Um. You know, with this kind of neo-Gothic, uh, you know, buttresses and stuff up at the top of the tower. Um, but, you know, and, and the, the whole city, beautiful movement. Um, but you also have the, you know, the the modern skyscrapers, the Mies van der Rohe, you know, buildings and then all the kind of super, super hyper modern ones that are there. So it's just it's a beautiful looking city with the river kind of cutting through it and Um, And the streets are pretty wide as opposed to New York. So you get kind of better vistas of the building. So it just looks great. Um, A lot of the loop is sort of two levels. So all the trash and all the kind of uh, the dirty business is happening underneath the streets. So you don't have the kind of New York City, just heaps of trash everywhere, which is kind of a nice thing. Um,
2: I was kind of surprised as cosmopolitan of a guy as you are.
1: That this was your first visit there you know I I just I I'm not a I must admit I'm not a huge traveler like I I, I really tend to stay where I live so I you know I've lived in a, a, a bunch of different places but I tend to I don't travel that that much so this is yeah this is a new one for me well, let's talk um, about
2: your dining experiences there especially one in particular that you've been looking forward to for years
1: Yes, so we went uh, to, I mean, uh, you know, of course, Deep Dish Pizza was had. We went to Giordano's. Uh, I went with my good friend um, who uh, we we went to see a musical and then had a lot of uh, other experiences while we were there. But we, we of course, did the Deep Dish Pizza at Giordano's, um, which I think is one of the kind of big ones along with Lou Malnati's. Um, And it was tasty. The Deep Dish Pizza was good. It's very rich, it's very heavy. You know, I had a slice and I was basically done with that. Um, and then we went to um, Topolobampo, which is one of Rick Bayliss's restaurants. So Rick Bayliss is a Chicago-based um, chef and uh, cookbook writer. He he specializes in Mexican cuisine. And, um, you know, he did Frontera Grill and is sort of known for kind of uh, in a Diana Kennedy-esque way – uh, really focusing on authentic preparations of Mexican food. And Topolobampo is one of his, uh, is his, sort of his fine dining um, establishment. It's interesting because all of his restaurants are basically in the same building. He has like several different restaurants, you know, from high to low that are all in the same building, <laughs> you know, just sort of separated by a d- different doors. But um, that menu was uh, incredibly delicious. Um. And it was an interesting one because it was a the best of thirty-five years uh, of Topolobampo, and so it was actually kind of a some of the dishes were kind of retro because they were like basically like this is what we served in nineteen eighty-nine, you know. And so it was like tortilla soup, you know, like a classic tortilla soup, which was very cutting edge at the time, but now is very sort of you know uh, kind of a classic. Um, and then. And then we only have a couple then, of minutes
2: left, so I want to make sure we get this in.
1: Yes. Um, went to Alinea, which is a restaurant I've wanted to go to for, you know, probably 15 years or or more. Um, and that's a Grant Akitts' restaurant. Um, and uh it was incredible. The the entire meal was like Willy Wonka's, you know, workshop. Um, every dish was kind of unique. Unique plating, very wild flavors. Um, everything was delicious, but everything was crazy. You know, the the dish that I kind of keep coming back to is um, was a piece of was a, a a chicken, in a kind of a creamy, almondy cream sauce, with what looked like a embroidered blanket over it, but the blanket was made out of rice wine vinegar. How I don't know, but it was a basically a vinegar blanket pulled over a beautiful piece of chicken, um, in a creamy sauce. And the, and and, you know, that, that was one dish that was amazing. Another one was called the black truffle explosion, which is basically a spoon that had what looked like a ravioli in it. That had a little piece of black truffle on top of the ravioli. And what it was is inside of the ravioli was, um, black truffle jus and Parmesan and, there was, I think, a little piece of romaine lettuce also on top, and you eat it in one bite, and they were like, "Close your mouth," because it's an explosion, and your mouth just blows open with with the taste of black truffle and parmesan, and it's just this like decadent, delicious bite of food. Everything was kind of like very intense flavors of you know things like oyster, black truffle, wagyu. Um, you know, there's one dish that was. Um, that looked like sardines packed in oil, but it was actually eggplant that had been sort of treated to look exactly like pieces of sardine. It was just it was just a ma- magical sort of meal. Um, and uh, I, 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 I could go through each course, but I won't, but uh, it did end with a helium balloon that turned into apple taffy in your hand, so.
2: Wow. That sounds like a great first time in Chicago. It really was. Will you be going back to the Windy City anytime soon?
1: Uh, very soon, yes. I, I actually have plans to go pretty, 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 pretty quickly. Yeah.
2: Okay. Well, we're going to continue, and while we take a quick break, Richie's going to run off stage, and he's going to don his bartender vest. He's going to get into his into his. Uh, bartender outfit and he's going to be back and he'll be teaching his Mixology 101 segment next. Stay with us. This is the GBC Happy Hour. With Richie Roy, I'm
0: Johnny Mac. Homo Mixologist Richie Roy and his Ice Cube Handler Johnny Mac present the latest lessons from the GBC Happy Hour School of Mixology. As they say at Gay B.C.,
1: Bottoms Up. Hello, and welcome back to the happy hour. Welcome to the bar. Yeah, to the Mixology Corner. Yes. Yes. And um, I will say, before I get into tonight's drink, I will say one of the things, one of the the highlights of Chicago actually was a bar. Um, There's a tiki bar down in the Loop area. I don't know if they call it just the loop or the loop area. I don't know. But down there um, (laughs) called Three Dots and a Dash. And um, it's a tiki bar. They also have like sort of a separate little room. um, And we were in the separate room. That's kind of like a little quieter bar off of the main bar. And the drinks are insanely artistic and beautiful. You know, each tiki drink, you know, comes in. Each drink has its own signature glass. I got one drink that was served in a, a wooden box full of moss and shells um, <laughs> with, a, with a a glass that looked like a puffer fish full of like a passion fruit and pineapple rum kind of thing. And then they pour dry ice down into the bottom of the box and then they slide it down to the bar too. So it's literally a puffer fish sitting on a kind of like ecosystem with, with with you know, fog drifting off of it all over the bar. That's the kind of place. Um And the drinks were all incredible. The bartender was super, super nice. Um, He actually ended up kind of hanging out with us and we actually closed down the bar and he kept uh, sort of plying us with different delicious beverages. Um, So that was a really fun time. Um, And so tonight's drink is actually a little bit inspired by Three Dots and a Dash. And also inspired by the kind of, I don't know, depending on where you are, At least in New York, the weather has kind of taken a turn for the warmer. And um, this drink was actually – this was – my friend Clyde Longwood actually suggested this one um, because we were talking about tiki drinks. And he suggested the lavender daiquiri. And I love this idea because I love – I actually love lavender. Uh, There was a, a time a few years ago, probably five years ago, where I was making lavender simple syrup. On the regular, and just putting it in everything—in iced tea, in in tea, in seltzer, in vodka drinks, in gin drinks—and uh, this is, you know, this is a similar thing. So you make a lavender syrup, which is basically you make a simple syrup, and you you buy lavender flowers and you just put them in there. You just put a bunch of lavender flowers into a simple syrup and cook it down, and so you get this nice floral, um, delicious syrup. And what you do is you take a quarter cup of white rum, you take eight teaspoons of lavender syrup, half a lime, two teaspoons of uh, powdered sugar, ice cubes, um, and you shake it up. Um, and uh, you know you and uh, you get it nice and you know stirred and shaken and everything kind of all comes together. You strain it into a chilled cocktail glass, like a coupe glass. And finish it with a slice of lime, and so you get that kind of floral lavender flavor. You get the the bite of the lime. You get the rum, um, and yeah, daiquiris are you know daiquiris are quite delicious. Um, like a classic daiquiri, not you know the cl- not the uh, the frozen you know sugar bomb um, of you know the kind of uh, gross you know cruise ship daiquiri. This is this is a you know just a nice classic daiquiri. And, um, I'd like to
2: I try that, drinking one of those off of Clyde Longwood. There you go.
1: <laughs> yeah. He's kind of a tall drink of water. Yeah. A tall drink of a uh, tall drink of daiquiri. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think that that's the drink of the week. Um, and then in terms of the non-alcoholic drink of the week, um, let's see. Well, what can we do with that one? You know what? I'm going to go with something warm. I'm going to say you know, it's warm right now, but it's supposed to get cold again is let's take the lavender syrup and key and stick with that. And let's throw that in a tea. Let's throw that in maybe a white tea. That could be interesting. Um, Or throw it. I don't know, but I don't like green tea with with sweet stuff. That's not my my jam. But if you like that, you know, try that. But you could also do it like actually you could double down, like take an Earl Grey tea and I like Earl Grey tea with milk and a little bit of sugar. So you could do an Earl Grey with milk and a little bit of lavender syrup, and kind of you know you get the the nice tasty um, uh, bergamot flavor, and then you can add in the lavender, which could be actually really tasty. So I think I think I'll I think that's what I'm going to go for is uh, is an Earl Grey with lavender syrup for the non alcoholic drink, and you could make you could do that iced, I guess. I don't know if I've ever had iced Earl Grey, but it could be good.
3: Hmm.
1: Are you a tea drinker? John I am
2: Lack? iced tea, I, and I do drink when I'm sick. I, I drink a hot tea, uh, and, and I like it. I just generally don't like hot drinks um, unless I am not feeling well. And so if I'm not feeling well, uh, tea is my, that is my potion.
1: I like tea. I don't, making tea is fussy to me. I it, 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 it requires a little bit too much. Like, I don't know. When I make coffee, I just like put it in the, you know, I have the, you know, the, the tech to Mocha master. I just throw in some grounds, some water, and it just hit a button and it makes the coffee with the tea. You have to boil the water, you know, on the stove and you have to kind of baby it a little bit. You know. it, it's a little too much for me especially actually green tea because for green mm. tea it can't be boiling you actually have to to measure the temperature of the water and get it to you know 150 or whatever the proper temperature is so green tea i almost never make that at home i love i do like how it tastes i like having it out but at home it's a little too burdensome
2: yeah i i just like flavorful iced tea
1: like now when you say flavorful, do you mean like a All kinds. like a man- like a mango or raspberry or just like a black tea?
2: Um both. You know, we'll buy um bags of tea leaves and have everything from, you know, uh berry to very um interesting flowery mixes. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Probably my favorite I like tar- is I like tart flavors. So the best is, the best for that is, and I'm sure that you're already on this tip, is iced hibiscus tea.
2: Oh, yeah. I I drink that a lot.
1: I I cannot speak highly enough about that. The other one that actually, it's not tart, but it's amazing, is um, iced licorice tea. Um, Hmm is so tasty it's you know you make you basically just boil up a, a batch of you know of liquor you know herbal licorice tea made of licorice root and then you ice it down um it's super it has a, a natural sweetness to it and a really beguiling flavor i can't drink it though why is that you have an allergy i don't have an allergy but it is a known issue that um licorice root cause, elevates blood pressure,
2: oh, yeah, I'm and not I a have big high f- blood pressure I'm not really a big fan of licorice flavor, um, and haven't been since I was a kid, uh, my mom probably fed me too much black licorice as a kid. I don't know um i don't I don't particularly care for the taste of licorice. Maybe it's like a slight flavor to adjust something, but um, not an overwhelming flavor. Mm-hmm. But you know, I like mango, you know, type teas and you know uh, tropical flavored teas that are you know iced teas, either right, uh, either green teas or black. So at any rate, uh, I'm glad to know that you have enjoyed so much uh, of your experience in Chicago with with all of the culinary and uh, libation stuff that you got to enjoy. That was cool.
1: It was cool. And, and also, I will say that the um, the, the reason for the season, the, the whole point of the trip was to go see this musical. And um, I absolutely adored the musical that we saw. It was um, Illinois, um, which is an album by Sufjan Stevens, um, who many of you may know... Um, did the, some songs for Call Me By Your Name but is a, a very a singer-songwriter and multi-instrumentalist um, who does uh, uh, beautiful music and that album um, Illinois uh, came out a number of years ago but they've turned it into essentially a full-length dance piece um, so Justin Peck who's a ballet choreographer um, is the director and choreographer of the piece and, and they have a, a, a dramaturge and I'm, I'm forgetting her name, but, um, an award-winning dramaturge that sort of took the album, put a story to it, and it's just told through dance and through music. And, um, if you get a chance to see it, it's coming to New York, to the, to the Park Avenue Armory. And I believe it's then moving on to some other, other spots but um, if you get a chance to see that musical, I was very moved by it. It's really a beautiful, it's a, sort of a coming, it's about coming of age. Um, it, it deals with queer issues. It deals with lots of just sort of um, topics and it's a beautiful thing. And if you, if you ha- can't see the musical, listen to the album, Sufjan Stevens, Illinois. It's really quite gorgeous. And so, here I always thought that
2: Illinois was a bunch of Republicans down in Springfield at the Capitol. of Illinois thank you so much for joining us and thank you to our guest David A. Cox for coming and hanging out and talking with us about Apple's new Vision Pro headset you can find him at techtalkamerica.com and you can of course tell your friends all about the show and it's available beginning an hour after our live broadcast from gbc.com and or your favorite podcast portals and if Your portal doesn't carry us? Well, tell them that they should be. For Richie Roy, I'm Johnny Mack. May your shadow fall in pleasant places. Have a great week.